Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, and your host for this podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to Rohit Bargava. We met over a decade ago in Washington, D.C., and we were both early bloggers and the dawn of a social media era. Era. So it's been it's been a while, and I just remember thinking back to that first time we actually we were on a session together at a conference called the New New Internet Conference, and the panel was pretty amazing. It included Rohit, myself, and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who many of you know as Gary V, as well as uh, Jeff Livingston, who's an author and uh, strategist and photographer and digital digital marketing pioneer. And so it's really a great session, and this is back in. 2007, so quite a while ago, and it's obviously great to watch everyone's careers grow and and become what they are today. So, really great stuff. And Rohit is the uh, is an innovator and marketing expert and founder of the Non Obvious Company, um, and he's got a number of best selling uh, books. He's published uh, himself as well as he's he also runs a publishing company. Um, he's got uh, six six business books out there in the world. So. Probably stumbled across one at some point, um, and uh, he's also mostly recently wrote uh, a book called "The Non-Obvious Megatrends," which is basically a culmination of a decade of non-obvious trend books. So he's been keeping track of, of trends for over a decade now. He put them into a book format every single year, and now here's his kind of megatrends version, which is actually his last version. And so it's uh, also newsworthy because you know basically we're we're in a new new year and. Uh, and Rohit is hosting a, a summit coming up here, the Non-Obvious um, Beyond Diversity Summit coming up January 26th or 29th. I'm actually going to be speaking on it about uh, investing in diverse startups um, and along with some of the companies that have been through the Startup of the Year program that we've invested in. Uh, Courtney Caldwell from, from Shearshare, Travis Holloway from uh, Solo Funds, who won our Startup of the Year this year, uh, Ash Kumra from, from Peak Mindful, uh, which I'm an advisor of, and then Marlon Nichols is a in- investor. He's a investor out on the West Coast, but invests all invests all over from Mac Venture Capital. And Allison Capen uh, is from the W Fund, and she invests in women-led startups. Marlon actually has invested in solar funds and a number of others as well. So really great. If you're interested in attending, you can go to nonobviousdiversity.com. Again, uh, www.nonobviousdiversity.com. Register for the summit coming up. It's coming up January 29th, uh, 6th or 29th. And it'll be more than just about startups. There'll be a number of topics, 150 speakers and uh, great stuff. It'll be coming out of it for that, that uh, next week. So before we jump into the interview, though, I wanted to um, invite you all to be a part of um, some of our programs. So at Established, uh, the company that produces the Startup of the Year, uh, we, we work with a number of different programs and start in the startup space and ecosystem. And if you go to establish.us forward slash programs, you can see some of them. They include the Startup of the Year uh, as well as uh, NASA iTech. Uh, we also work with uh, AFWorks or, or the U.S. Air Force. Um, AFWorks is their innovation um, arm, if you will. And so a lot going on there, a lot of great stuff coming down the, the, the pike here, and uh, we're always working with new different groups, so um, definitely want to be informed. So go to establish.us forward slash programs to get on our list, and we'll send you the uh, latest updates once we once they come in from these various programs we work with. All right, so 
basically had a chance to sit down with Rohit uh, recently and catch up. Um, wanted to share share the interview here, so let's listen in to my conversation with Rohit Bargava. Can you share like what's what is a non obvious trend for all those listening? Yeah, so we hear a lot about trends, and and my inspiration ten years ago when I started doing this annual trend report that then turned into an annual book. Uh, which eventually turned into megatrends, was to try and do something non-obvious. I mean, that's literally the title. And the problem that I saw with so many different trend reports and predictions was that they were totally blatantly obvious and they were just observing things that existed. You know, like somebody would write a trend report and they'd say the hottest trend of the new year is going to be drones. And you're like, dude, that's just like something that exists. Where's the actual trend? Where's the direction? And so for me, like my definition of a trend, a non-obvious trend, is that it's a curated observation of the accelerating present. And so really what I try and teach people is like, how do you understand, how do you observe and understand the accelerating present? So you touched on a couple of things that brought my my curiosity. How do you become a curator to do that? And, and, And why is that important for everyone watching? Well, I, I think that that what what great curators do is two things. One is that they train their power of observation to be able to see what other people just walk past. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people ask me, like, look, is there a certain type of person that does this better than anyone? Mm-hmm. And if you remember like that, that uh, video, that social experiment video with the gorilla going in the middle when people are passing the basketball, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, it's like super popular, right? Like yeah. people are passing the basketball, you tell them to count the number of times the basketball has been passed and a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla suit walks through the middle and you don't see him because you're focused on the ball being the ball. passed. Yep. Right. And then when people say, oh, did you see the gorilla? Or when you, if you know it, right, you see the gorilla. And like the question I ask people afterwards is the people who see the gorilla, they're not just like natural gorilla noticers. Like they don't <laughs> notice a gorilla better than anyone else, right? right? They're just, they just know what to look for. And right. to me, like that's what a curator also does. They pay attention, they observe. And then the second piece of it is they take lots of different things they put them together and say, look, this is a bigger theme. This is a bigger message. And that's what curators and museums do, right? They choose artwork, they put it in an exhibit, and then they say, here's the theme of this artwork. And they don't put up everything. They have lots of stuff that's in storage. And so part of it is deciding what not to pay attention to. And that's the other part of curation. Right. So I'm very interested in your process. And I know you've got a, a method that you do this. Can you share, like, how do you identify, you know, first, let's share the process and how you identify those non-obvious trends. Yeah, my process, I call it the haystack method. And the reason why I do that is is sort of to flip the cliche of looking for a needle in a haystack uh, on its head. And so to me, the haystack method is all about gathering the hay. It's not about the needle. It's about the hay. And the hay is the information, is the stories. And the more time you spend, the more you can train yourself to pay attention to all of these stories and all of these different spaces and different industries and, and different verticals, the more you can put it together and say, this is what the, tr- this is what it means. This is what the trend is. This is what the needle is. And you take your own needle and you stick it in the middle and you say, this is the meaning. And that's what this method is all about. It's about training yourself to pay attention to lots and lots of stuff, not just the stuff that social media serves up for you or the right. stuff that people who agree with you share with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it intentionally goes and reads, you know, it's, it's about intentionally going and reading things or watching things you don't agree with. It's about intentionally getting outside of your own bubble. And, and it's really not that easy to do because we're just so surrounded by stuff that is delivered to us that you really have to try hard to break out of it. That makes sense. And I think I read that you also 
you look at magazines, right? You try to get it. I mean, to get out of that bubble because yeah. we are, we are, there's algorithms literally keeping us in our bubble right now. So how you share some of the ways you get out. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody who's watching this is probably pretty savvy about how the internet works, right? So we all, all of us are mm-hmm. us tech savvy people. And I think we're all in this kind of family together of tech savvy people mm-hmm. understand that when we search, like when you search for something on Google or when I search for something on Google, we get different results. Right. First of all, there's a lot of people in the world who don't understand that. Um, they think that what you see is what I see. And so they don't understand how you could believe something different than me because you're reading right. the same thing. How can you be so stupid? And that's not actually the case. Like we see different media. And, and for me, magazines are a beautiful way to get outside of that algorithmic bias because the magazine that I pick up is the same one that you pick up. And not only that, but if I pick up a magazine that's not intended for me. So if I read Teen Vogue magazine, which is for 16-year-old girls, or I read Modern Farmer magazine, which is for modern that farmers, actually. which I'm not. Uh, you know, no, but I love that magazine. It's a great magazine. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, and Monocle magazine, which is amazing yep. for anybody who lives in the U.S. because it's not about America. You know, and right. so much of what we hear here is just about what's happening in America. And so we right. we create these bubbles, and then we're reinforced with those bubbles because of social media and print media is a great way to get out of that because it's not biased or tailored to who you are. There's no ads being served based on you having looked for that last set of dumbbells, you know? And so it's like, none of that stuff is tailored to you. It's, uh, it's the same. And, and that's really, really important. Definitely. Okay. So how do you identify, um, you know, or actually how, how do you know, like if a trend is a trend versus a non-obvious trend, I guess you talked about a little bit, but I want to make sure people are are spotting these things thinking, oh, I thought that was a trend and they're trendsetters and all this stuff. Can you share a little bit more about how you do it and what the, um, the difference is? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that I look for uh, if, in order for something to be what I would call a non-obvious trend is, is it changing the way that we think or do business in terms of what we buy or sell mm-hmm. in multiple industries? So if it's just affecting the financial sector, for example, it's unlikely to be what I call a non-obvious trend. If, however, it's affecting multiple industries, if it's affecting financial services, if it's affecting healthcare, if it's affecting retail, if it's affecting travel, and you find examples of the same thing across multiple sectors, then it could be something that I, you know, in my method would elevate to call a trend. Okay, more questions about non-obvious trends. Um, Do old trends, or sorry, do new trends make old trends not true? Sometimes. Uh, but what I tend to find more often is that an old trend, and, and look, I have a lot of experience with old trends because right. every That's year I, I do this report. <laughs> yeah, I do this report. I have a new version of this book every year. Right. And uh, up until Megatrends, which was the last edition, and we could definitely talk about why. Yeah. Uh, but every year there's been 15 new trends. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Megatrends book did not do that. It had 10 what I called megatrends and the megatrends each incorporate like, yeah, there it is right there. there. (laughs) Um, And each one of those megatrends incorporate lots of the kind of old trends. Right. But what ends up happening over time is that a trend, the way I describe it, either continues to accelerate or it fades away. Um, It was Mm. a temporary thing. And and I'm pretty transparent about the fact that I don't get, I have not gotten all of these trends completely right and that they haven't uh, lasted over time. In fact, at the back of that book, there's an appendix, a detailed appendix that gives a letter grade to every one of those past yeah, trends, more than a hundred of them right. in terms of whether they continued to accelerate over time or not. And so 
because I'm not afraid to say when I got things wrong, and it's not just based on me looking at it and saying, hey, I was wrong or I was right. It's based right. on all of these workshops I've done and before right. the pandemic, all of these kind of keynotes and, and in being in the room with people talking about these trends and then being with them afterwards as we sort of explored them to say, hey, you know, I don't think this one's actually continuing, at least not in the way that you wrote about it, right? And right. so it's based on all of that feedback and this whole panel of kind of trend um, curators that I've built through the non-obvious, we call it the non-obvious nation. It's like our online community, right? Right. And, and the idea is that the more transparency we can put behind these, the more we can actually spotlight what does really matter. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the book. I mean, I had it here. It's, it's a great book. It's got nine megatrends in the book, but you know, obviously you've captured all those trends over the last 10 years. Well, it's got, it's got 10, but I think one of the pages kind of mistakenly put <laughs> nine. Oh, 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 does it? Okay. So, yeah. I, yeah. But there's 10 total. There's 10, okay, total. 10, 10 total. Okay. Yep. Um, I just like, I just have a, you know, like for the number nine, I guess. Um, so now uh, you've got these 10 mega trends in the book. Can you share the top trends that kind of stood out the most? And actually we should talk a little bit about this. This book came out in, in January, right? Yes, it did. 2020, yep. January, 2020, when the world was a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so you, 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 you were playing, you know, you were, you were coming up with these, these mega trends way before that. How have they held up first? And then let's dive into the ones that you think are the most interesting right now. Yeah. You know, that was, that was the first, as soon as kind of everything changed, uh, yeah. one of the first things that I started doing is I shifted my perspective and I said, look, I'm going to have to get good at this virtual thing, right? presenting virtually, teaching virtually, right. uh, you know, doing all of that stuff. Right. And I figured just with everything else in my life that, that the only way I'm going to get better at it is by continually doing it. Right. And so I started saying yes to almost everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what ended up happening was basically over the summer, the American summer. So right. you know, May to, to like August, right. uh, I did more than a hundred events. Um, wow. So I did a you're ton. To, you're used to events. being at events in person, but how many do you do in a year usually? So in person, before the pandemic, I was doing between 40 and 50 live events a year. Right. Uh, wow. But that requires Double you getting on a plane and, you know, usually right. and, and going somewhere. And, and so that's a, that's a lot of travel. Yes. If you're doing it from home and, and generally they're a little bit shorter, I mean, you can do them much more quickly. And so not only was I doing a lot of those virtual talks, I mean, I did a virtual session at South by Southwest. I did like mm -hmm. a couple of other higher profile ones, the virtual right. South by Southwest that they used to replace the actual one, right. which I know we were going to hang out at. And so we right. still owe each other a beer from that. Right. Um, exactly. We'll make happen at some point. Yep. Um, but beyond that, I was also starting to do, I was experimenting with different formats, right? I was, instead of just me solo talking, I was doing interviews mm -hmm. where I would interview someone or someone would interview me and we would do mm -hmm. it more interactively or we would use breakout rooms or we would do all of this stuff, you know, all of these different things. Right. And uh, the question I would get all the time is, look, you published a book about trends. It's so-called mega trends, you know, it's 2020. It's supposed to, because I said, I'm not going to do this book anymore. Right. I wanted it to be a 10 year project, like, as, as I said, so this was the last version. And I announced that kind of before the pandemic, that was sort of right. last year I announced this is going to be the last one. Right. And so my lens for megatrends was not just a year. It was meant to be a decade. Right. And now the pandemic hits two months after this book comes out, that's supposed <laughs> to be about the next decade. And of course, everyone's like, look, uh, you know, <laughs> is this still right? Is this correct? Right. Yeah, because like everyone's, everyone's patterns have changed. Every the, the stuff we're totally. doing has changed. Yeah, totally. Yep. And so you know, it really 
caused me to do some soul searching, right? And, and not only soul searching, but more research. I mean, I went back in, I started looking at the the stories and, and they're pretty deeply researched already in terms yeah. of, you know, every one of these mega trends not only has other trends from the past, but mm-hmm. has probably 30, 40, 50 stories behind right. it. So if you search through the the index and the kind of list of resources, I mean, we yeah. stopped printing it in the book because it would just take too many pages. Right. It's amazing. Now you're going online goes back, to actually read all the sources, right? Goes back to that process though, right? The haystack pro- totally, um, process. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, yep. and, and, and what I started to find is that uh, some trends accelerated faster because of what's happened with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what I started talking about was, well, why has this happened? Uh, and and part of the reason why it's happened is uh, that that we never lacked the ability to be innovative, I don't think. Mm-hmm. What we lacked was a way of breaking down the barriers to innovation. Mm-hmm. And what's happened because of the pandemic is many of those barriers have been forced to have been broken down. So it's almost like, you know, the, the water was at the dam and then there became a crack in the dam. And all of a sudden it's like now that cracks turned into like the water's just flowing. Right. And what has ended up happening is things that we anticipated would take much longer to get to the point that they are now, such as online education, mm-hmm. have happened much faster because all of our kids are doing online education and virtual schooling. Right. And so those sorts of shifts are changing the way that we are used to getting products and services delivered to us, uh, the, the business model of subscribing to things instead of owning them, uh, mm-hmm. the idea that we can learn remotely from anywhere and from anyone uh, and faster. I mean, these are all factored into some of these mega trends that I had written about. And so right. that's what ends up happening with many of them. They don't actually go away. They have either remained or mm-hmm. accelerated much faster than I thought they would. That makes sense. Are there, so I don't want to go through all 10 of them because just because of time and, you know, I wanted to hone in on the maybe three or four that you think are the most important um, to kind of think about right now is, you know, a bunch of innovators that are watching and listening, you know, might be able to to hone in and and learn something from. Yeah. So let's, uh, I mean, let's talk about from a startup point of view, right? Like what are the ones that would perhaps be most impactful for anybody who's a startup founder or an entrepreneur to think about? Yeah. Uh, one of them that I wrote about was uh, it had, really has two parts to it, and I called it flux commerce. Okay. And flux commerce was a mega trend that described number one the idea that the business model behind how we make money is starting to shift. So the simplified mm-hmm. example is things that we used to buy we now subscribe to. Right? right. But there's more versions of that. There's there's trade and barter type economies that are now coming in. Uh, there's the sharing economy, which has evolved to the next stage, which is, you know, who even owns this stuff in the, in the first place? And do we even need that? Right. Uh, that's one side of it. The other side of it is what I called the industry blur, which is we used to have verticals. It was like I was in financial services, you were in healthcare, you were in travel. And now the lines are blurring between those things, right? I mean, you have right. medical tourism, you have uh, coffee shops that are owned by banks, you have Taco Bell opening up a hotel, you have right. Crayon making makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these are examples of companies that used to be in one vertical saying, look, I'm going to go into this other vertical because like, that's an opportunity for me. And I don't need to stick in this single solo vertical anymore. And so this diversification idea behind mm-hmm. business is a really important one, I think, for entrepreneurs to think about. Uh, and it's right. been really important for me to think about, too, because, I mean, as we talked about before, before the pandemic, I was doing 50 events a year and getting paid to speak at those. And that's a lot of income that's basically yeah. gone away. 
Right. And I know a lot of my my friends, good friends and fellow speakers have really struggled because that was their that was their income. Right. And uh, and for me as an entrepreneur, uh, I had a second business and my other business is a book publishing company. Yes. And even though the speaking has gone away, the book publishing has actually accelerated because more people like me are saying, look, I can't speak right now. So I'm going to accelerate my process for writing my next book. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that publishing company? Because you are, I mean, you're doing multiple things. You're literally doing two or three jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is diversification. It's entrepreneurial diversification right. as opposed to financial right. diversification, right? So right. like we all hear about like, you shouldn't put all your money in stocks. You shouldn't put all your money in this one thing, right? We should move our money around. And we right. generally, I mean, smart people generally know that. Right. But we don't tend to think about our entrepreneurial ventures the same way, right? We're like, we're all in. Like, like right. there's a lot of romanticism attached to like, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm working at this thing for like uh, X number of hours to get it off the ground because like that's what entrepreneurs do. And we right. live and breathe it. Mm-hmm. And we sort of uh, dismissed those who are like, who have a little bit over here and a little bit over there as being unfocused. Right. And if we shifted the perspective a little bit to say diversi- they're diversified, Right. It actually turns out to be pretty useful when a Makes pandemic a hits or yeah. something like that, right? Right, yeah. Um, no, totally. And, uh, and, you know, for me, the publishing company was sort of a labor of, of love that I accidentally created. So mm. uh, I had published my first two books with large New York publishers, and I was dissatisfied with the level of control. And, and like an entrepreneur, I, I mean, look, if anybody who's written, a, sold a book, I mean, you know this, like anybody yep. who's sold a book to a publisher and then written it and gotten in advance, I mean, yep. When you do that, you take money from the publisher, which means you become the employee and they're the employer and you're writing the book for them. Right. So anybody who's entrepreneurial and has not worked for anyone for a long time and now all of a sudden they do their book and they become an employee and they're treated like an employee, that sucks. Right. And so I built this publishing company to flip it around. And it's, it's, I didn't invent the industry. I mean, this industry already exists. It's called hybrid publishing. What Mm -hmm. it essentially means is you pay the publisher and the publisher provides, hopefully, if they're good, they provide expert services to help you create a great book, print a great book, and distribute it to bookstores and online and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that model had already existed, but nobody was doing it at the level that, that I wanted to do it, which was you know, for a New York Times bestselling author of a business book right. to get what they actually need. So these right. are not you know, self-published books that are uh, printed on demand or shipped off to China. These are no. beautiful books. Yep. And that's what I wanted to do because I'm a brand guy, right? Like I right. want something that is beautifully, beautiful looking, that's beautifully branded mm-hmm. uh, and that I could put out there and say, look, I've worked for a year or two or three on this thing and I'm proud of it. Right. And that didn't really exist. Uh, and right. so that was the opportunity, right? But that's what diversification let me do. So now that the pandemic hit and the speaking's gone away, I've spent mm-hmm. more time focused on that. That makes sense. Let's dive back into some of those uh, mega trends. So you mentioned one, the uh, flux commerce. Let's talk about any others that pop out uh, that startups or entrepreneurs should be thinking about right now. Yeah, there's there's another one that that sort of alludes to something I spoke about earlier, which is education. But the mm-hmm. mega trend I wrote about was instant knowledge. Right. And there's a couple of components to this, and, and it's driven by this human belief that we can learn anything faster because we have access to all these tools at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the story, one of the stories that inspired this mega trend was me reading about an eight-year-old who had the munchies in the evening and decided to teach himself how to drive on YouTube so he could drive to McDonald's and go to the <laughs> drive-thru, which is like Sounds terrifying. Dangerous. As a father, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that probably terrifies you too. Yeah. Yes. But 
but it was interesting because like here's this eight-year-old who's like i can teach myself how to drive on yeah. youtube right and like yeah. 10 years from now what's that eight-year-old gonna say about the college Anything. Crush, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. when he has that conversation, does he need to go to college? Like, and, right. and, and I think that there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because mm-hmm. just because we have knowledge at our fingertips doesn't mean we have mastery or wisdom. Uh, and and right. to some degree it, it diminishes that because it's hard to master something by watching a YouTube video. But right. at the same time, if we have all this information at our fingertips, like we have the ability to figure anything out mm-hmm. faster. So like even with the pandemic, I've just been watching videos about like switchers and audio and cameras and how to get this, you know, the right. blurry background. And like, that's all YouTube videos. I didn't right, do right. a course on any of that stuff. I didn't do film production. I just right. it, tried to figure it out. And, and this mentality that we can just figure stuff out is leading to lots of opportunity. I mean, for us, one of the reasons why it, with the non-obvious company, like one of the reasons why I, I didn't choose to do the trend book anymore is because I wanted to shift the perspective of the company away from just doing the trend reports to mm-hmm. providing useful insights. And so we built out something that we called the non-obvious guide series, which is a right. series of guidebooks that are meant to compete with the dummies guides. Gotcha. And the whole tagline behind those is that it's smart advice for smart people because you know, you're not an idiot. You're not a dummy. You expect right. to figure this stuff out. And those books were created in the 90s mm-hmm. for a different mentality. And right. people don't have that mentality anymore. And so why are we still reading these 400-page useless books? It's interesting you bring that up. We we spoke with uh, Mike Evans, who's the co-founder of uh, Grubhub, recently, and you know earlier today, and uh, he basically talked about how he got the sales for Dummies book, and that's what taught him to go out and he got actually did help him get his first sale, you know, through through learning yeah. that. But you're right; those have not been. That was you know 15 years ago. You know, probably that art art book was yep. probably written 20 years ago. Yeah, so, and you know the thing is, I, I'm sure that uh, that he got it because there was nothing else. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it's sort of like finding that diamond piece of advice in the middle of crap. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I picked up lots of these dummies guys when I was doing research. And one of right. them, I mean, I remember I did, I picked up one on internet marketing and it had an entire page defining what a friend is. <laughs> like, I mean, does anyone need that? No, right. that's why those guides are 400 pages long. So like, yeah, maybe you'll find the 17 pages that are actually useful, but you got to right. dig through 400 pages to do it. And who wants mm-hmm. to do that? Right. Literally so no you, one. You've put, you've put out some of those guides. You put one right out right after the pandemic kind of hit uh, around uh, virtual meetings, right? So did, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I did the uh, non-obvious guide basically to like working virtually. And it was everything that I had learned in the last decade of working remotely myself because right. you know, my office is in my house. I'm used to doing that. But also right. like what does it take to be effective in virtual meetings? Mm-hmm. How do you avoid that Zoom fatigue? How right. do you lead a virtual team? Because mm-hmm. most of the teams that I work with and the freelancers that I work with on the publishing side or otherwise, now a lot of times we haven't we haven't met uh, in, in person, but we right. collaborate and we collaborate all the time. And so, right. how do you do that effectively? These were questions that were urgent for people. And right. uh, and I remember uh, it was the weekend that South by Southwest got canceled. It was like right. the middle of March. Right. And that was when I decided I was going to write this book. And mm-hmm. I spent the next uh, four or five weeks doing interviews and research. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote the book in four weeks after that. Wow. Uh, and part of it's, yes, I'm a, I'm a fast writer, but I spent an equivalent amount of time researching and interviewing mm-hmm. as I did writing, because the more time I spent up front doing that, the faster the writing was on the back end. Right. And but that's pretty phenomenally fast. Like most publishers yeah. would not be able to get something out that quick ever. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we did all that and then we got the book out in uh, in late May, early June. 
Right. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's one of the benefits of, of owning the whole ecosystem, right? I right. know how yeah. it works. I know how quickly I can get stuff done. I know who I can lean on right. uh, to say, hey, just, you know, jump this to the top of the queue because I've given you a million dollars worth of printing jobs in the you know past two years. And, right. <laughs> you know, so like I do have the ability to maybe accelerate stuff more than anyone else would. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was just this idea that that I had figured some stuff out because I had to. And mm-hmm. if I could put it into a book form that would be useful for people and eventually into an online training, which is what we're working on right now, mm-hmm. that would be of benefit for people. Yeah. And, uh, and so I wanted to get it out of my head. And also like my response to being grounded at home <laughs> right. was to start writing because I'm a writer. Yep. Uh, you, you got know, all this time back. Writing. You don't have to yeah. travel. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like I yeah. you can't do that. And, right. uh, and it's amazing as a publisher, I will tell you this. Uh, and I think you know this, that, that the number of people who have written and written and published a book who hate writing mm-hmm. uh, is, is uh, surprisingly high. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's tough because there are people who have amazing ideas, but they just, they're not writers. Right. And, um, and, and for me, you know, look, I, I'm an English major. I did a master's degree in English. Like I've always been a writer. And so yeah. that has helped me in many different ways. And when it comes to getting a book out this quickly, uh, it's definitely been beneficial because I can sit down and I can write yeah. relatively quickly and, and I can write on a deadline, which is basically what real writers do. I mean, journalists, they always write on a deadline. Right. That makes sense. Okay, let's dive back into maybe one more trend, mega trend that you do you think might be helpful, and and then maybe if we have a little more time, I want to talk about. Well, that actually might eat it up. So let's just dive into one more mega trend. Okay. Which one do you want? Which one do you want uh, to talk? About? Let's talk about one that that uh, a lot of people have asked about. Probably one of the sure. most popular mega trends. Sure. Yep. Um, and it was something I called revivalism, mm-hmm. and revivalism was an observation of the fact that the more and then remember this was written before the pandemic. Right. But it's even more relevant because of the pandemic. So before mm-hmm. the pandemic, there was already people were kind of calling it the tech backlash. Right. This right. Tech, the idea that we wanted to get away from our devices. We just wanted some alone time. We wanted some me time. We wanted to go off in the woods and right. not always be connected with the beeping and the dings and the alerts right. and all of that stuff. Right. And so we started rediscovering things that made us nostalgic for the past. You know, TV shows were coming back. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart went back to playing Picard. We were listening to vinyl music again. We were playing right. board games again. You know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff was already happening because of the pandemic. And then we got stuck at home. <laughs> and now all of a sudden people are puzzling. You know, they're buying puzzles right. at home. Right. I did, a, I did a couple there. puzzles here. Yeah. yeah. Probably three I mean, or we, four. Got, we, we always have a, we always have yeah. a puzzle sitting there right, right. now. Um, yep. And, and, even more so, we kind of went backwards in, in time. And, and the macro vision behind this megatrend, right? So beyond just kind of the, the stuff like reconnecting with, with the old stuff that we remember, mm-hmm. the macro reason for it is because in many ways, we feel like the world right now is just not trustworthy. We're always being lied to. The politicians mm-hmm. are lying to us. The news is lying to us. We just, right. we feel under assault by lies right you're calling that Anytime. you call that trend untrue thing right or true tr- yeah exactly yeah 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 like um yeah true thing was like true one thing. of the past trends and it was this right. idea that we and that was actually part of the revivalism mega right right and the idea behind that uh was good memory by the way um the idea behind true thing is if we don't know what to trust we retreat into our own beliefs and we right. trust what we already know or what we remember what you feel comfortable with which, yeah what you feel comfortable with some uses why a- nostalgia became such a big force Right? right, because we turn backwards, and we always see the past as having been much more trustworthy than than now. 
And the funny part is our memory goes as we get older. So is that really what it was like or is, you know? Well, there that is something, right? Because I can <laughs> I can choose. I have this beautiful luxury that my kids don't have of choosing to remember myself as way more awesome in high school than I actually was. Right. Whereas there's you know, no photos or video of that. Like there's yeah, nothing, they have right? videos and proof yeah, and yeah. like all of this stuff. So they have to right. remember themselves exactly the way they were because like right. there's the evidence, right? I don't right. have any. You don't have any pictures of right. me from high school, right? right? So like you don't have any evidence. Or, I can tell I you always, anything. Yeah, no, we, uh, we always say, you know, listen, it's probably a good thing we didn't have that stuff, especially in college and some of those other times when you're like, wow, it's got to be really <laughs> tough, you know? Yeah, and you'll find the occasional photo that like an old college buddy posts online right. and you're like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe don't tag me in that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. Um, so going back to that, so how can we, how can we think about that uh, as you're you know, building out technology or startups? What, yeah. What so, so one of the, one of the very practical ways to think about this revivalism is, is mm-hmm. something that I used to call the downgraded mode. Mm-hmm. So for example, my phone, I'm not an Apple guy, so I have a Samsung phone. Yeah. And since I got my phone, there's always been a uh, low battery kind of option on the phone. So for example, right. if I'm down to 5% battery life, yep. I can go into low power mode and low power mode disables all of the Everything. colors, all of the kind of, you know, stuff that goes on in the background. Yep. And it basically just allows me to do phone calls, texting. And, you know, at that time they had Facebook because apparently that's mission critical. Wait, I love that. That's a great <laughs> hack. I, my, my phone has something similar and my watch does too. And I've been thinking this whole time, should I get a light phone or one of these other minimal, minimalistic phones? <laughs> all I need to do is find the button. Yeah, Sounds that's like right. It. Yeah. Just go to the low power mode and it'll literally change the view and it just gives you like four yep. things and it's all in like a duo tone. So there's right. no color. Right. And now your 5% battery life will last for another 17 hours. Right. And I think that, you know, that's the downgraded mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that as we build technology, we forget about that mode. You know, we mm-hmm. don't build that in. We don't give people that option to just get the basics. Yeah. Uh, and we could. And sometimes that would be the optimal way to do something. Like we overthink stuff and we like, I mean, my car, like I have two cars. One is a 12-year-old car and the other one is like a five-year-old car. Mm-hmm. The five-year-old car has one of those keys that you take the key into the car and then you press the button. It's like a push button start. Right. And I always lose the keys and I have nowhere to put them. Right. Uh, my old car, my 12-year-old car has an actual key that you actually put in and you turn it. <laughs> And I never lose those keys, no, yeah. uh, you know? And so like, right. why did we need that push button thing? We didn't. Like, I actually enjoy taking a key and sticking it in the car. And I right. don't even know if they make cars like that anymore, right? right. Uh, yep. And so like, it, there's a downgraded option right there. Like I would choose, if I had a choice, I would choose the key that I could stick into the car and turn to turn it on. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. No, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, even with like travel and airports, I haven't been doing as much of that, but you know, I always print out my ticket. Cause I want to have the paper yeah. so that I don't get to I that, know, me too. <laughs> that, that checkpoint and then my phone doesn't work and I can't get in and they send me to the back or something, you know, like yep. you always yep. have that backup. And so I definitely understand that. That's a definitely a good one to remember and, and think about as people are building things. So we're, you know, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, you just are, are a wealth of, of information and knowledge. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Where can people connect with you if they wanted to find you? <laughs> So the easiest are are two things. One is I publish a newsletter every Thursday, which is the most interesting and non-obvious stories of the week. And I spend hours every week curating that and trying to find the most interesting stories. Yeah, thank you. Um, So you can subscribe to that just by going to nonobvious.com slash subscribe. The other thing is every week I do a video show, uh, the Non-Obvious Insights show, where I interview someone different uh, Mm -hmm. about something that they're working on. And, And so I've had some amazing guests so far 
Uh, I've had uh, Dan Pink, Guy Kawasaki, Francesca Gino, uh, wow. Mark Atunas, Tom Fishburne. I mean, amazing, amazing guests. And, and I'll continue to do that. And that's on YouTube. So if you just go to youtube.com slash Rohit Bhargava, that's my name. Uh, that's my channel. Uh, every Thursday at noon Eastern, I do a live version of that show. Wow. Every Thursday, noon Eastern, go subscribe so you can get the updates and you can find follow along the newsletter as well. Some great articles are shared in, in things that are going to probably bubble up to be the next mega trends, but obviously you're not doing that book anymore. So we got to follow the newsletter. So that's, that's the way we will find it. Um, for those of you that haven't yet check out this book, it's out there. You can go get it, get a, a real physical copy, or there's a bunch of different ways to get it uh, as well. And uh, Rohit, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you all uh, learned something about uh, business or marketing or trends. Rohit's just a wealth of information and really interesting guy. Love, love catching up with him and, uh, hopefully you're registered for the Non-Obvious Beyond Diversity Summit. Again, coming up here soon, it's at nonobviousdiversity.com. Uh, there's going to be a, a plethora of speakers. You're not going to want to miss it as we all work together to create a more inclusive world. Really excited about that and excited to be a part of it and um, honored to be be representing Establish and Startup the Year at the, in the conversation. Uh, thanks again for everyone listening, and remember to subscribe to our show. Please review it. We love to see all the reviews come in. Um, and also, if you have a startup idea and you want to get something going, today is the best day to start. Remember that. You can jot it down, get it going. It doesn't have to be launched today, but get those creative juices going, write the things down, build upon it, iterate, 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 and uh, you'll be well on your way. So until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Stay safe and be well out there. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.